Thank you for listening to the Motion City Church podcast. We are so glad you are able to join us today. In week two of our sermon series titled Family Circus, we will be diving into what it means to be functionally dysfunctional in our families. So let's listen in on the conversation. Just kidding, nothing. Go Vikings. But, um, so I'm trying to figure out what not to say this morning. Um, but, uh, because I, I feel like what God's already done, I think, in this place, um, in, in, in what, man, just that time of worship and just the things that God is, is moving us to as a church with sending people out and planting people in, I'm just so, I mean, I'm just so blessed by everything that's happening. And, and we're not even two yet. I just think that's so incredible that God would choose to, uh, to, I don't know what I'm doing most of the time, and I'm just so blessed that God chooses to continue to use imperfect individuals um, to bring people closer to him. So this morning, we are continuing our series, The Family Circus, and last week, we kicked off this series, and, and the whole thesis around the series is the fact that if you have a family, it's, it's a circus. And Jen and I had been talking about, man, how can we convey this truth, this reality, because I'm sure you see the way that my kids behave, and you're like, man, they're such perfect, obedient angels all the time, and th- there must be nothing that happens in their life that's chaotic. And so in order to kind of bring you into a little bit of our family circus, which we should have filmed this morning, but we just didn't, um, we just wanted to give you just a quick clip of our, uh, a quick video of our morning routine, uh, and this I think was Wednesday. So take a look at our Wednesday. Are we Cool. Then come in the covers. Mama. I love you, Mama. Mama. I love you, Aggie. Oh, you're cute. Really? Stop! Pretend you're a baby now. No. I'm just a queen. Taylor, you need to get dressed. But that's the that's after I go potty and brush my teeth. Well then go do those things. Daddy, what's this? That's my diaper. Is it wet? It's not. I disagree. What's in your diaper? This It's not poop? Then what is it? It's my belly belly. Come watch a movie on your phone. Watch a movie on your phone. I love watching a movie on your phone. I want to watch a movie on your phone. Can I watch a movie on your phone? Watch a movie on your phone. Okay, do you have your binder? I didn't go upstairs. What? Where's your binder? Go get it. Go get it. Let's go. I just had No. I'm on No. What's that for? Get your, where's your backpack? Oh, hold on. Let's get your backpack. Let's go. I don't know. It's your backpack. Hey, come on. Hey, let's just see you out. Hey, see bye. ya. See you. Love you. Bye. Okay, Gabby, she gave you a hug. She gave you a hug. Dada. Since when? Taylor, that's a very pretty dress. Was it a baby or? No, I think it's a big kid. We have Wednesday nights tonight at church. Start today. So you have polka dot girls tonight. We have polka dot girls? Yeah. One for God. Isn't that exciting? <coughs> you alright? You have, you have water? I don't have it. Is your water in your bag? No. With your lunch? No. Where's your water, Taylor? I think we left it up. Okay. Me and Taylor, should we pray today? Okay. 
Right, dear Jesus, I pray for Taylor right now as she goes into a new school day. Father, I pray that you give her a good day. Give her, um, allow her to understand and comprehend and absorb the information, Lord, that she's going to be taught. I pray that you would uh, help her be a friend to kids who are having a hard day. I pray that she would be an encouragement to her teacher. And uh, Lord, we just bless, pray a blessing over Miss Martin today as well. So I give her a great day. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Eddie, how come you don't have pants on? Where's your pants? We gotta go! Well, why did you take them off? You gotta wear pants, it's cool outside today. Come here, let's get your pants on. Did mommy bring you pants? You had, a, you had one job while I was gone. To get pants on her. Yeah, do we need to change your diaper? Yeah. I think you're wet though. I think you, I'm, yes. Alright, so that's just, uh, just a quick glimpse into kind of our life. Again, um, that was actually a pretty pretty chill Wednesday. Um, normally there's a lot more screaming and crying and, uh, and that's just me and Jen. Um, but, uh, and so, but I mean, how many of us can say honestly that when it comes to families, sometimes there can be a little dysfunctionality with families, right? There can be a little dysfunctionality and sometimes we can get so used to the, the dysfunctionality of our families that we begin to function successfully as dysfunctional people. So we move into this realm of functionally dysfunctional as a family. And um, the amazing thing is, is, is so often I have got to catch myself not looking at social media for examples of what family could be because how many of us know, again, that social media is, uh, is more of a highlight reel than it is about the, the practical day-to-day in-between things that, that happen in life. And, and so the reality is, if I, if I could just break a truth to everybody, that there's no such thing as a perfect family. I mean, I look throughout the, the scriptures, I look at uh, the, my family, my, my wife's family, uh, there, there's no such thing as a, a perfect family. None of us have everything figured out, but the amazing thing about this family that God has called us to, and remember from last week, that when family is done correctly, it's the greatest support system an individual could have when it's done correctly, but as we look at kind of the the dysfunctional functionality of our families, what we find throughout the course of Scripture, throughout the course of my life, maybe throughout the course of your life, is we serve a God who likes to establish himself and desires to establish himself in the middle of our messes. See, the amazing thing about God is he's not afraid of your mess. He's not afraid of your dysfunction. He's not intimidated by our brokenness, but he desires to restore us. And when I think about the process, when I say the word restore, when I use it in a very uh, churchy way, I, sometimes I feel as though I, I, I can even miss exactly what God wants to do because I think the restoration process, like a car, is done in 30 minutes because that's what the, te- the television tells me. Is that you can DIY a house or a car and it takes 30 minutes and nobody argues. And there's no, uh, there's no yelling or screaming or crying. And so, um, and as many of you may know, I, uh, to kind of pay for, pay for my church planning habit, uh, I paint houses part-time. Um, I've been doing that since I was, I was 12. I'm, I'm 33, so hopefully I've gotten better in the course of that time. Um, but, um, but one of the, the houses that I remember painting over the, in the last year or so is, um, it was one of the contractors that, that we had worked for and have done some work for. And, and in his garage, he had this, this very cool El Camino that was up on a lift. And this thing was just, it was beautiful. And so I asked him, I said, man, 
don't, don't shake your head in El Camino. It's a great car. It's half car, half truck. You could cruise and you could tow things. Man, don't, don't, no, no, don't, don't scrunch your, change your face, schwa. You love that El Camino. Anyway, um, and one of the things I asked him is, is, and I just, because I really don't know much about, uh, I don't know much about cars. I can change a headlight, which is good. I know when the oil's low because the light turns on. And if I stop on the highway, I'm out of gas. This is, the, this is the extent of things about cars I know. And being that I didn't know much about cars, I asked him, I said, how do you restore a car? Like, I'm assuming it didn't come like this. And he goes, oh, no, 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 no. He goes, this car was a mess. And I said, what do you do in the process of getting a car that's a mess? And what do you, how do you get it to, to where it's, where it looks now, where it's like, man, this thing is beautiful, and there's just some stuff under the hood that needs to be worked on. And I said, how do you take this mess and take it to this part? And what he said to me, he goes, well, it's, it's one part at a time. And when I think about the word restore, when it comes to the life of an individual that has been impacted by the grace of Jesus, sometimes I think we think that in this moment, God takes everything that we've ever dealt with and it's just thrown out the window and the reality is that's just not true the things that you dealt with before jesus are going to be things that you may deal with while you're following jesus but what god does is he begins to restore us one part at a time and so i want to and i want to encourage maybe somebody this morning that man if you're in this place and be like i feel like i should have been different by now we have a god that works on us one part at a time. He is patient with his process. And so can I encourage you this morning, if you're a little frustrated with how long the process is going, man, know that, you, that there is a God who is patient in his process, so please I would encourage you to be patient as well because what's coming later is so much better than what's happening right now. And, and so be encouraged this morning with that, one part at a time, one piece at a time. Um, as we, uh, before we planted Motion City Church, my wife and I, Jen and I, we were on staff at a few other churches, and, and um, we were at a church in Louisiana uh, for a very short stint. It was a very difficult season. It was a very difficult experience. Um, it was just, it was just a unique culture. We're Northerners. They're Southerners. There's still bitterness about the Civil War. It's just kind of how it is. Um, and so we were known still after six months as, oh, you're the couple from Minnesota. Like, that was our name. And so um, we're like, yes, we're the couple from, from Minnesota. And, 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 but one of the things that made the circumstance so difficult was um, there was just something that happened that made Taylor get sick, our oldest daughter. She got sick pretty much right away and never really got better. Uh, over the course of the six months we were down there, we were in and out of doctors. We were in and out of emergency rooms. We, were, we, we had no health care whatsoever, so we were selling things left and right to pay for x-rays. And, and we were never getting any of these, these answers or solutions. And, and finally, we kind of had this point of having enough and, and really feeling like, man— Ultimately, we knew we wanted to plan the church, and we knew we wanted to be in Minnesota, so we made the decision six months in, man, we're going to move back to Minnesota. Um, we're going we're gonna to pay for it ourselves. We're going to pack up everything ourselves, and maybe we're going to ta- take back off to, to the land of the frozen chosen, and we are going to just start new, and maybe the climate change will help tailor, and the reality is it didn't, and there was, uh, again, doctor's visits and ER visits, and all of a sudden, there was one morning, and I think it was either in January or February, where uh, I was, uh, as a Sunday morning, because it always happens on Sundays, and um, I was getting up, and I was getting ready for church, and all of a sudden, I hear Jen say from the other room, um, hey, can you come here and take a listen to how Taylor's breathing? 
And I said, sure. And so, um, well, my first question, I think, was, is she breathing? And Jen goes, yeah, but just come and listen. And so as I got even just a little bit closer to the room, I heard that Taylor's breathing was very labored, and it was very fast. And so what Jen did is what, something that we, we, we've done what felt like hundreds of times. She called the ER, and she talked to a nurse, and she began to explain the same circumstance that we've continued to explain over and over and over. But now the difference is our circumstance has taken a cross-country tour. Uh, and, and so we've begun to explain once again. And then, t- Jen, then Jen brought up the breathing thing. And instead of being put on hold, there was more questions. And Jen's tone began to change. And she went from kind of being like the, the, the nervous mom to the very mama bear stern mom. And answers were very quick. Answers were very short. I was being informed little bits and pieces of what was going to be happening. And then all of a sudden, I, she, Jen just looks at me and goes, we have to get dressed. They told us to bring Taylor to the hospital. I told, her, told them it was faster if we drove her because we were right up the hill from Children's Hospital in St. Paul. So we pack up. We drive as fast as we can to Children's Hospital. We check in. They begin to hook her up to IVs. Um, she hasn't woken up yet. Uh, my daughter has a very low pain tolerance, and so we're think, thinking they're going to put the IV in her hand. She's going to wake up, and this is going. And she she was just unconscious, still labored breathing. We were trying to wake her up. She would wake up for a second. Her eyes would roll back into her head. She wouldn't take anything to drink. And so all of a sudden, they, I, I'm just kind of zoned out. My, my focus is not information. My focus is my baby. And I'm kneeling against her bed, and I'm just praying. I'm like, God, I don't know what is happening right now. Can you just give us some clarity? Could you give us some direction? Could you just give us something? Jen's getting information from the nurses, from the doctors. And all of a sudden, we take Taylor, Taylor's bed from the—we've never gone this far. We've take, we take Taylor's bed from the, uh, from the observation room, and all of a sudden, we're in a, a elevator. And we're going up. I'm like, oh, we're probably just going to get some more x-rays because that's the next step. And then all of a sudden we move into a room and on the whiteboard is, is uh, welcome Taylor. And so then I have that moment, wait, are we being admitted? And they said, yes. And so all of a sudden then they take Taylor and as we're getting admitted, I'm finding out information. Jen's going with Taylor and all of a sudden the doctors bring back uh, x-rays of Taylor's lungs and they are filled with pneumonia. That has probably been undiagnosed for over a year. Um... All of a sudden, the reality of something that had gone unseen became very present in our lives. And, and all of a sudden, we're trying to figure out, okay, so what are the next steps? What should we be aware of? What are the things? What's the medicine that you're going to And all of a sudden, they just started putting uh, medicine into Taylor because she's about a year behind this fight. And so they got to start giving her medicine that's going to start acting against what already exists, but what's already going to be produced and, 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 and what's going to be continued to be replicated. And so all of a sudden, we're kind of getting information. I'm calling my parents. I'm calling Jen's parents. I'm calling the church that we're a part of. I called uh, Jen's employer. She worked for a little boutique, and we're just like, hey, this is the situation. This is what's happening. And, and it, I love, it was probably one of my favorite moments of that is when, babe, when you worked at Hot Mama, and, and I called, and the unsaved girls that my wife worked with said, we're going to be praying for you. It was just such an amazing moment. And so then we kind of go throughout the rest of the day. We continue to find information. Well, then it comes to nighttime. Jen's exhausted emotionally, physically. I'm exhausted emotionally, physically. And so I, I have this thought, maybe I will suggest to Jen that she goes home and gets some rest. And then I look at her, and she says, if you even suggest. This is just, and here's the thing. When you've been married for a while, you get to tell, you get to, you get to put whole conversations together based on eyes. 
And I look at Jen's eyes, and what her eyes are telling me is, if you suggest that I leave this room, I will beat you to death. And I said, babe, how about I go home and rest? Why don't you stay here tonight? Because I'm just wise like that. Um, so I go home. For a whole other message, uh, for a whole other time, basically what happened is all night I didn't sleep. I cleared out our little basement TV room, and I fought with God all night. I get up the next morning, grab some coffee and bagels, head back over to the, to the I almost said hotel hospital, um, to kind of find out what happened during the middle of the night. Jen's tired. She's exhausted. I'm tired. I'm exhausted. Taylor has not woken up yet. So we go through the next day. And we go through processes and procedures, and really the difficult part was we weren't getting any information because they'd already given us all the information that we have to let the medicine work to fight what's already existed and what's trying to be replicated. So, so it's kind of just, what, when's she going to wake up? Well, we're not sure. So we go through that day, and I'm just praying. I'm just like, God, would you just get her through this? Would you just get Taylor through this? Would you get her through where she's at? Would you just get her through this? Would you just get her through this? Would you just get her through this? And it comes to the end of the day, and I kind of put my husband foot down. I said, Jen, I said, I want you to go home, and I want you to sleep in our bed, and I want you to do it now if that's all right with you. And, and, and so she said, so she went home, and then I stayed and sleep again. I, I was up praying. As nurses and doctors are coming in, as they're putting more medicine in her, as they're checking her breathing, as she still hasn't woken up, as she's doing all these things, um, I keep praying. I'm like, God, would you just get Taylor through this? Would you just get her through this? And right about what feels like the 1,743rd time that I asked God to just get her through this, I felt God speak to me and say, is that all you want from me? Is that all you want from me? And I began to have to process the last couple of days and, and I realized that my prayers for my daughter to God, the creator of everything, the creators of the universe and the universes that we don't even know about yet, this, this is this God. What I'm asking him is that would he just get my kids through? And he says, is that all you want from me? And all of a sudden I had this moment where I realized, no, that's not all I want from you. And in a moment, my prayers began to change. I began to pray into my daughter's future. I began to pray into her purpose. I began to pray into the things that I knew that God was going to be calling her to because Jen and I had dreams of, what, of glimpses of what Taylor was going to do with her life and the impact that she was going to make in this world. And all of a sudden, my prayers went through, God, would you get her through this? To God, would you bless her? And would you bless her abundantly? Would you do even more in her life than we could ever, as her parents, ask or imagine? And there was this shift that took place. And it's changed the way that I pray about my wife. It's changed the way that I pray about my daughter, uh, Taylor. It's, it's changed the way that I pray about our youngest Addison. And, and I find myself catching myself sometimes to just simply sit back in the functional dysfunctionality of life. And God, would you simply get us through? When, when the reality is God doesn't simply want to get us through. He wants to get us through, but he wants to get us through and to the other end better than when we started. Not just get us through as the same, but get us through blessed. And to get us through purposed. And to get us through, in a, in, in not just in a, a, a sort of like stereotypical, 
typical, well, I'm just going to get from one battle to the next, so then I'm barely ready for the next battle. But man, God wants to bless you. He wants to bless your life. He wants to bless your family. And so my question to begin today is simply this. Are, you, are we praying as Christians, are we praying prayers of God, will you simply get us through, or are we praying prayers for our family, for our spouses of great blessing? Because the reality is, I can tell you this this morning, God can only bless that which is in keeping with his instructions on how we are to live our lives. How often do you find yourself, and how often do I find myself praying for God to bless things in my life that are outside of his instructions for my life? You know what, God, I'm going to go do this, and I'm going to go be a part of this, and I'm going to start a relationship with this person, and I'm going to do these things. Oh, and by the way, God, once I've begun all these things, would you bless it? Maybe it's just me, but I've done that what feels like hundreds of thousands of times. God, would you bless the things that are outside of your instruction for my life? And, but the reality is God doesn't work this way. If we want to see the blessings of God in our lives and in the lives of our families, then we have to do things a certain way. We have to do things God's way. Now, Matthew chapter 5 is is one of Jesus's—it's like his big sermon. Uh, It's called uh, the—most traditions call it the Sermon on the Mount, but to, to the people following Jesus at the time, it was just an opportunity to hear Jesus speak. And so Jesus begins to talk about the way that we should live our lives, the way that as his followers we shouldn't live our lives. And, and at the beginning of Matthew chapter 5, he goes through eight specific ways that we will be blessed. If we do these things, then our lives will be blessed. And the one thing that I want to sit on for the remainder of our time today comes in Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 6, and it says this. Jesus says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. What is righteousness? Because that sounds like a very churchy word. What righteousness means is that we are in right standing with God, that our lives are lived doing things his way. That's what righteousness means. So when we are When the Bible calls us children of righteousness, we are children who are in right standing with God, doing things his way. Well, how do we know which ways are God's ways? Well, maybe we should get to know God. And so Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Now what I want to do in just the, I'm going to try and get through this in six minutes, and it's going to be a marathon, and it's going to be a, not a marathon, it's going to be a sprint. So hold on. But I want to bring this into the context of our families. And as you're looking at your family, as I'm looking at my family, and honestly, sometimes it's, it's, I look at my life, and I look at my family, and I look at the, the, the morning we had today, and man, it is a functionally dysfunctional mess. But even in the midst of the functionally dysfunctional, my prayer has got to continue to be, God, would you bless the mess? Would you bless the mess that I find myself in right now? God, I need you to bless the functional dysfunctionality so that I can hunger and thirst for you. Because if I want my life, and if you want your life, and if you want your family's life, and your spouse's life, and your kids' lives to be overflowing with the blessings that God has, then we have to hunger and thirst for righteousness to be in right standing. Because if we want want to be gluttons of everything that God has for us, then we have to pursue him like some of us maybe do the state fair food. 
And so this morning, I want to ask you, I want to ask you a question. Whatever type of family that you're a part of, it may be a family on a college dorm. It may be, uh, you may, this may be a dating relationship, an engaged relationship. It could be a husband and wife. It could be a single parent family. You could have kids. You could not have kids. You could be empty nesters. You could be whatever. But my question that I want to ask you this morning is this. What do you want your family environments to be full of? And as I'm talking, I want you to begin to think about that. And we kind of, we try to leave a little space in your notes so that you could fill it out. But what do you want your family environments to be full of? As I thought about my family, I thought about the fact that I want the environments of my family, I want the first one to be, I want, I want our environment to be full of love. Love for Jesus, love for each other, love for our neighborhood, love for our community. I want my family environment to be, to be safety. Maybe not so much physically safe, because I think sometimes if we're so worried about our physical safety, we'll never step into the full adventure that God has in store for us. But there's emotional things that happen in life. And so what I need to pray for my six-year-old daughter who's walking into, who's in first grade now, and again, we're not the primary voice in her life. We're still the most important voice in her life, but we're not the only voice in her life anymore. The things that I pray is that, God, would you put safety over my daughter's mind. Instead of hearing the thing, the negative things that people may say about her, would she, hear the, would she re, be reinforced with the positive things that as her father, I have spoken over her? So when that little boy calls her ugly and wants to become the next speed bump in front of her school, that she would, that she would hear the fact that she's not ugly, but dad, since before she was born in utero, dad has spoken that she is beautiful, that she is created in the purpose and plan of God, that she is a jewel in the crown of her father who is the king, that she would know these things, and she would like water off a duck's back, like, I'm not ugly, my dad says I'm beautiful, and if my dad says I'm beautiful, then I'm beautiful. I want, my, I want my kids to, to, be, to be safe when it comes mentally, emotionally, spiritually, all these things. I want there to be joy in my house. I want my environment to be full of joy. That We would laugh. At the same time, I want there to be peace because I'm living with three girls, and it's just not peaceful sometimes, so would you just pray for me? But I need peace sometimes. We need peace. I want my family environment to be full of encouragement. I want there to be adventure. I want there to be adventure. Not simply adventure as a family, but adventure into the things that God would call us to. Like church planning, that's an adventure. Like moving to Uganda, that's an adventure. Um, planting a church in a neighborhood, for the, that's an adventure. Man, I want my family, I want it to be full of God. So what do you want your, your, the environment, your family environment to be full of? And the second question I have for you is, what does your family hunger after? Is it money? Is it entertainment? Is it recreation? Is it activities? If we were to spend, send, if we were to uh, attach a GoPro to your head, like we did our family for the morning, but let's just say awkwardly you didn't know that there was a GoPro on your head. And when we filmed your life for a week, and then next Sunday we showed a week in your life on the screen, what would... The, pr the evidence say that you hunger after as a person. What would the evidence say that your family hungers after? Would our hunger after God be evident? Or would people be surprised by the fact that we say we're Christians? 
And so I want to give you this morning two forms of, of righteousness that I think sometimes we fall into um, maybe unaware of, um, two forms of righteousness that we, as families, we, we, can, we can sometimes fall into, but the reality is these types of righteousness are things that will not fulfill us, that will leave us hungry uh, and thirsty for more. And so if you got your, your talk notes, um, number one is this, uh, sometimes we can fall into the fact of, of, of striving after legalistic Christianity. What is legalist Christianity? Well, legalistic Christianity is a bunch of do and don'ts. You may have, you may have grown up in a house like this. This may perfectly describe your family, but here's the deal. We go to church, we put on the face, we, we, we sing the songs, we raise our hands when we're supposed to raise our hands, we cry when we're supposed to cry, we, we respond to, to altar calls when we know we're supposed to respond to, we know all the answers in kids' church because every answer in kids' church is Jesus. Uh, we know all the right things to say, we know all the right things to do, but it's, and, and then all of a sudden our lives are filled with, well, we don't do this, and we do this, and we don't do this, but we do this as well, and we do this, but we don't do this, and the reason it, we don't do this, and we do these things is simply because I can't really explain it, but we're, just, we're Christians. Now, I'm, what I'm not saying is that families should not have rules. I'm not saying families shouldn't have guidelines. The reality is the opposite of those is chaos. <laughs> if I had no rules for my six- and two-year-olds, it would be Chaos. It would be like, like uh, 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 what's the book about flies? Lord of the Flies. There would be pig, pig's heads on stakes in corners of our house, and we would be battling for survival in the chaos that would be my house. Families need to have, uh, uh, need to have guidelines, need to have rules. It's, it's our responsibility as parents to lay those out for our children and to lead them in the ways of God. But... Um, but what legalistic Christianity can become is simply a list of do's and don'ts, and you go through the motions, but there's no spirit behind it. There's no life in it. How do you know when you've crossed over into legalistic Christianity? Well, it's because, when the, because the spirits left the building. And you create rules without relationship, and the reality is rules without relationship equals rebellion. It grieves me how many families ministry families I hear of where the kids have just gone just absent of wanting to have anything to do with Jesus, having anything to do with the church. Because, I mean, let's just be honest, man. How many times do we put unrealistic expectations on pastor's kids? And here's, and I'm going to say this as the pastor who has kids. If you have kids, my kids are no more of an example than your kids. I'm going to say it again. My kids are no more greater examples than your kids. If your kids look to my kids to be the example of how a Christian kid is supposed to be, you are going to find a sinful and imperfect six-year-old and a sinful and imperfect two-and-a-half-year-old. And I don't want to create for my kids a, 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 a springboard into failure. That there's just these unrealistic rules without relationship which would lead to rebellion. And, and there are certain things that we do because we're Christians. The things that God has called us to. And so it's not about just do this. It's, hey, this is why we do things. This is why we love people that are hard to love. This is why um, we get up so early on Sunday mornings and sometimes daddy has to leave Saturday night, or sometimes if grandpa's willing, he goes and gets the church trailer so that I don't have to do it. Like, there's, these are, there's things that we do because we love Jesus, and because we love Jesus, we love people. And people are messy, so we involve ourselves in the messiness of their life. But it's not, 
it's not just simply a life of doing this and doing this and doing this because I don't want to create rules for my kids without relationships. I want to create guidelines in which they live their lives by. Not because they're the pastor's kids, but because they're kids who love Jesus. And the second type of righteousness sometimes I feel like we can fall into as families and we can begin, begin to pursue that, that doesn't satisfy as lukewarm Christianity. What is lukewarm Christianity? Well, lukewarm Christianity is believing in Jesus but living like he doesn't exist. I refer to it as sometimes Dr. Jesus. How many of you have a relationship with your doctor? You know their birthday. You know their anniversary. You know their favorite color. If they were trapped in an island, their top three movies. Um, you're invited to their birthday parties. You invite them. To, no, I don't think any of us really have that sort of depth related. Maybe, and that's wonderful. That's good for you. That's awesome. But how many times do we treat Jesus like a doctor? I'm just going to go to Jesus when I need something from him. And when I think I got the answer that I want, then I break the relationship until the next time I need him. That's lukewarm Christianity. See, the reality is God's got a very strong opinion about the topic of lukewarm Christianity. It's found in the book of Revelation, chapter 3, starting in verse 15, and it says this. Jesus says, I know your deeds. I know that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to, to spit you out of my mouth. I remember being in kids' church, just be like, <laughs> and being like, oh, that's so gross. Jesus would spit, and it's like, <laughs> whatever. And so now, but I'm now that I'm 30, 33, I, I've I've developed my father's taste in coffee, and um, and here's the deal: there's only two types of t- coffee temperatures. There's hot or there's cold. I'm either gonna get a hot americano in the winter, or I'm gonna get an iced americano in the summer. You give me a lukewarm Americano, you take that garbage back and you make me something that's cold or hot. Because, because here's the thing, as people, we never acquire a taste for things that are lukewarm. When was the last time you had lukewarm milk? Right? When was the last time you had lukewarm flat soda? Like, our bodies never acquire a taste for lukewarm. But how many times do we treat our relationship with God lukewarmly? And Jesus is very clear. He says, hey, I would, I would love for you to be hot. I would love for you to be passionately serving me. I would love for you to be passionately pursuing me. I would love for you to just continue. You would just go after me like, like you go after the, the iPhone 7 or the Galaxy S7 or uh, the next Xbox console that comes out or the Vikings versus Packers tickets. I would love for you to pursue me like you pursue those things. I would also love, if you're not going to pursue me that way, I would love for you to just not pursue me at all. Because the truth is when we gather into the middle, we just confuse people. You know what I mean? Like, like, my senses get confused when you give me lukewarm, nasty garbage coffee. Give it to me hot, give it to me cold. Don't give me this lukewarm garbage. And I love that, that this is the word picture that God, that God uses. And because, again, our appetites are never for things that are lukewarm. And, 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 but in our lives, we have appetites that we pursue. 
And the last thing that I'm going to say is I just want to give you three things that if we begin to put in practice today, if you begin to put in practice these things today, whatever your family context, whatever your functional dysfunctionality involves, if you put these three things into practice today, I promise you that you will begin to see things in your life change. They may not change overnight, like financial peace. Financial peace doesn't happen overnight. It's a difficult process. It's a process you have to commit to. You have to go all into. But once you begin to do these things, you will see things in your life begin to change. Now, what these three things require is a leader. And I, and I'm going to just push a little bit. If you are a part of a nuclear family, mom, dad, children, 2.5 children, dog and cat, white picket fence. If you are a part of a nuclear family, the leader must be, has to be, is God mandated to be the man. That's not sexism, that's God. Men have been mandated and purposed to be the leaders of our family. But why are there so often more women than men in church? Because as men, we have taken the mantle of spiritual ownership and spiritual leadership off of our shoulders, and we have placed an unnecessary burden onto our wives, and we have said, you know what? You lead the family because I'm not about this emotional garbage. I'm not about this emotional stuff in, that, that, that I just don't want to deal with it. I would much rather sit back nonchalantly and be lukewarm. So here's this burden that you were never supposed to to carry, that I was supposed to be mandated to carry and lead, but I'm going to put it on you because I just don't feel like it. Again, your experience does not dictate your truth. God determines and establishes truth, and if we are men in this place, and if we say we are men who pursue God, then we should be the leaders. And so I'm going to say there are three areas that we need to lead in. And we need to lead in the fact that, number one, let's just start praying together as families. Let's pray together as families. And, and, and let's just start at the dinner table. Let's just start there, because that just seems like a very realistic place to start. And you're like, man, I've never prayed out loud. Well, fantastic. That's great, because you don't need to have a King James Version prayer. You can just begin to pray like you would have a conversation. I remember one of my favorite prayers. I remember hearing uh, someone who, who found Christ at the, our, our, my first church assignment. He goes, I've never prayed out loud. It's like, well, let's just do it today. And, and his prayer was simply this. Um, hey, God, it's, it's Jason, but you know that already. And then he just had this conversation. It was awesome. I wish my prayers were that simple. Begin to pray together as a family. Don't pray about your family. Pray with your family. Number two, talk about the things that God is doing in your life. Don't just have fact talk. Have heart talk. Have heart conversations. What God, what's God teaching you? What's God revealing to you? What are the things that he's moving you towards? Man, what are the dreams that you have that you maybe haven't shared with me yet that I can support you and that I can encourage you in? Man, let's have heart talk. Let's talk about what God is doing in our life. And then, let's cre and then number three is we need to create boundaries and we need to set priorities. We do not need to be involved as human beings in every opportunity that it comes our way. We just don't because there's too many, and there's not enough time in a day. And so as a family, as my family, there are certain things that we do, and there's certain things that we don't do, not because the things that we don't do aren't good. We just don't have time. And I don't want my kids to be stressed out. 
I don't want my kids to learn at six and two that life is all about being balls of stresses moving from one thing to the next. I want them to be kids. I want them to have fun. <laughs> I want them to enjoy being a part of this church. I want them to enjoy the part of their life where there's not as many demands as, as has in later. And so there are certain things that we have said that we will be a part of and do, and there are certain things that we won't be a part of and we won't do. But we, you have to determine for yourself what are those boundaries and what are those priorities that are going to be, and then when you set them, set them. Write them in stone. Tattoo them on your arm if you need to. Yeah, like I'm not going to be an advocate for tattoos. Um, but like do what you have to do to establish and set these things and then don't give on them. As seasons in life change, so will your priorities. So will the boundaries. But don't expand something before it's ready to be expanded and don't restrict something that's not ready to be restricted yet. But set boundaries and set priorities and then live by them. And... Um, and this morning, our big idea as we, as we wrap up, and I, I'm going to pray, um, is our big idea for the day is this. If your appetite for things, if your life appetite is for things that aren't filling you, it's time to change your appetite. If your appetite is for things that aren't filling you, it's time to change your appetite. How do you change your appetite? Well, if I want to eat healthier, I stop putting crap in me. If you want to see the blessings of God in your life and in your family's life, you may have to change the things that you hunger and thirst for. Because if it's not righteousness, it could be anything else. Right? Heavenly Father, I thank you God, I thank you for working on us and in us and through us, God, even when we're just messes. God, for some in this room, God, they need an appetite change. They need, a, they need to hunger and thirst for something new and something different. And Holy Spirit, I just ask that you would just begin to work on, on hearts and on minds and on appetites today. God, with things that aren't pleasing to you, aren't filling us up, God, the way that you would have us be filled up. God, would you just begin to put a distaste in our mouth and in our spirits for those things? And God, would you, would you give us a taste for, for your word, for, for knowing you more towards things that, that, that fill us up, that push us towards good deeds and righteousness? Because God, if, if this world needs to see anything, it needs to see men and women, families who are in passionate pursuit of Jesus. So God, help us. Strengthen us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Once again, thank you for listening to the Motion City Church podcast. We would love to pray for you and alongside you as you go throughout life. So if you are ever in need of a prayer, we would love to have you shoot us an email at motioncityprayer at gmail.com. We would also love to have you join us in person next Sunday as we continue in our series titled Family Circus. We meet at 1030 a.m. at Falwell School of Performing Arts. We hope to see you there.